0: Happy
1: New Year, Eric.
0: Happy New Year, Lauren.
1: So we are actually now really recording in 2020, unlike last time when those were lies. And I wanted to ask you kind of the classic question about New Year's resolutions, because there are two types of people, as far as I can tell, the people who are like, time means nothing, we invented years, I'm the same person as I was yesterday, F it. And then there are people who really use the flipping of the calendar as an opportunity to do something new with themselves. So which one are you?
0: Well, potentially surprising no one, I am neither. (laughs) I I thread a middle ground because I think that the time – I mean, ultimately nothing matters because we all make everything up. But I think the passing of years is as is fine a time as any to like take stock of where you're at and what you want to do. That said, I don't especially go with resolutions because I feel like if I think of some way I want to better myself, I try to implement that sooner rather than waiting for the calendar to tell me it's time.
1: I think that is, in theory, a great way to be. I just know that I have a very, like, addicting or addictive personality. I have a hard time breaking habits. And so I do see the new year as an opportunity to change some stuff. Um, And I
0: think that's great.
1: Good. I mean, we respect each other's differences here on Progressive of Power. Uh, My resolutions, in case anyone at home was wondering, uh, I'm getting a library card this year. I think we live in one of the great library cities of America. And my best friend really sold me on the idea of getting one due to all the like digital resources that are available, so I encourage you to do that too, especially if you're in Chicago. I'm not contacting my ex-husband anymore. Maybe TMI, but it's important. And one of the reasons I said starting at a milestone is important, because why not today? I'm going to visit Seattle, I think I've decided. I have enough friends out there that I'll have places to crash. And finally, a more cerebral one, I'm going to consider small successes, success all the same. Like there are weeks when I'll put like 20 bucks into my savings account because it's all I can do and I'll berate myself for not being more fiscally responsible. But 20 bucks in savings is not 20 bucks I had before. And I think I could be kinder to myself about, hooray, you did something good.
0: Those are great resolutions. I just want to say Seattle's probably my favorite city I've ever been to, so I think you're going to have a really good time.
1: What's cool out there?
0: Uh, the weather. That's kind of <laughs> kind of a dad joke, but I really love it because it's very dependable. Like, it's the same all the time. Um, I love the EMP or AMP Pop Culture Museum. I love the Chihuly Stained Glass Museum. They're right next to each other. Um, there's a really, like, the kind of the U.S.'s first, like, good board game cafe. Cafe Mox is out there. It's a really great, like... Gamertown and Pike's Place is great. And, yeah, I just love every seafood. Got to get the seafood.
1: Oh, uh, that sounds dope. I mean, I have recently come around to seafood after over two decades of living in Chicago and having garbage seafood. Uh-huh. So I look forward to good, good fish.
0: Actually, it's funny. My New Year's resolution is uh, to go on a seafood diet. Did you know that?
1: Is it, is it about seeing food and then eating it? Or is this for real?
0: No, it's because I like shrimp. It's this
1: 2020, and this is still she Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. And
0: I'm Barbara Walters. Are you... I could try the impression, but it's only going to fail.
1: <laughs> Someone has to like pick up the torch on being Barbara Walters, I guess. Is she alive? This is bad. We have to start over.
0: I no, let's roll with it. I think she's quite alive, yes.
1: Good. Well no, the reason I asked is because I saw a Saturday Night Live clip where the actress who plays Barbara Walters, uh Sherry O'Terry. Yeah, like appeared on New Year's Eve and did an impression and I was like so Barbara, Does that mean she is still with us?
0: She's 90.
1: Okay, good. Thank goodness. All right.
0: But she's alive for now.
1: I'm happy to hear that. A we lot can change definitely.
0: in the next 18 hours or so.
1: Right. It's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> like when She-Ra itself said it was going to reboot right before we stepped on stage at a show. Oh, yeah. Stranger things have happened.
0: Yeah. Seasons one and two definitely have happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Nothing not... has changed in 2020.
1: <laughs> nope. Just... Eric making me <laughs> flustered <laughs> on the mic.
0: I can't believe we're this deep in the podcast and you still get flustered by my bad jokes.
1: It's constant, just like you said the weather in Seattle is. Mm. It's just our relationship <laughs> is really
0: dependable, and I'm grateful for that. Good callback. We have a person laughing in the studio. Let's introduce them. That's my
1: favorite way to reveal we have a guest. We did that with Eric Skull too. We're like, well, he's laughing. Guess we got to bring him in. Yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> so, Lauren, since this gentleman is is like my oldest and best friend, do you want to introduce him? No. Oh, okay. Uh, everybody, I mean, I don't even know how to set this guy up, except he wrote us a lovely fan letter and did us a nice carving that we posted on our Facebook page. Which
1: I do want to say is hanging in the studio, but not the studio we're currently sitting in. So I want him to know that it's not a lie. It's just in the better studio that we don't always get.
0: That's right. Um... I mean, I don't know. He's like an amazing person, and I love him. And uh, he's up in Chicago for a few days for Christmas, whatever break. So he's here to do an episode. Everybody, this is Ben Rathers.
1: Uh, Thanks, Yay, Ben Rathert.
2: I am such a huge fan of this show in general, and honored to be on Mike. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I,
0: so you're one of the guests who I think you picked up Shira because of us, right? Because of the show.
2: Well, yeah. So yes and no. Uh, you know, to answer the question, when did you first hear of the band Shira? Um, <laughs> I,
1: oh, right! As you were sipping your drink,
2: on purpose, timed. <laughs> uh, so my neighbor Kyle across the street, growing up, my best friend, gigantic He-Man fan. All the action figures. We watched the TV show constantly, and he had some Shiro stuff uh, in there. But uh, I didn't really take an interest in the show again until Eric started doing the show with you, Lauren, and then I kind of just jumped in. I think the first episode I watched was like the fro or listened to the Frozen Woods or something like that from the original series back in the day.
0: Oh, is that where we had the doctor on and we talked about medical care? That sounds right. You probably have opinions on that because you're also (laughs) a doctor.
2: You'd have to ask me to remember that episode (laughs) in in a a lot of detail. But so then I, I I loved the, the podcast. I started listening to old episodes along with the new one at the same time and it was maddening um, and by the time I actually started watching the Netflix show and got caught up on that it, everything kind of worked itself out over time um, but it's I, I, lo- I loved the old show I loved the new show you know everything's been it's been fun
0: so I uh, we're not going to ask you too much about medicine because there's this doesn't really tie in are you sure? I've, uh, no <laughs> I'm not sure but I think what I would like to talk about a little bit and it kind of coincides with something that's been happening to Lauren and I Um, we like to talk about fandom on this show and if we can get just the tiniest bit navel gazy, I'd like to talk about being a fan of things like this show only because like when I think of you, Ben, I think of somebody who like loves things so earnestly and you're just so supportive. Like, I mean, in the greatest example, Ben has taken my old storytelling show and started (laughs) it up in Southern Illinois, but like you just write letters to, like, podcasts that you like. Like, I don't want to blow up your spot, but didn't you get, like, Jimmy Pardo's intern, like, yelled at you?
2: I did. In fact, uh, Jimmy Pardo's great. The, the pod father himself. But, uh, yeah, I, I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, dude, I, I make stuff, and, like, would you want, like, a picture frame or something like that? And the intern got right back at me and told me to never, ever approach him again. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm so sorry <laughs> it, it was received poorly. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, the, the guys from Hello from the Magic Tavern, I reach out to them uh, when I can, whenever they do a really great show. Your um, your arch uh, enemies, or at least Matt Young
0: is anyway. Uh, <laughs> Lauren's enemy for sure. Yes. That,
1: I feel so bad about how I accidentally hurt Matt Young's feelings, and I'm never gonna live <laughs> no. it down.
0: But he stole your son.
1: He did, and then we replaced him with an identical son that I'm as emotionally attached to.
2: You're right. Uh, your son is gonna get uh, some love later in this episode.
0: That's right. Yes. Uh, how about that? Oh. But I guess I guess that's a. Inelegant segue into talking about, like, a couple people have written, Lauren and I, really lovely letters lately. Some of them I want to address in the body of this episode because they're kind of relevant, but... I don't know. I feel like we should do our our little shout out to people who have taken the time to say nice things to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, we did like one mailbag episode. And now to sort of brag on us, we receive mail so often that we have to intersperse it just in the episodes. Because if we tried to save it for one day, it would overload. Uh, We have this running joke that if you write us a letter, you can be on our show. And we've done that several times (laughs) today being a case in point. But some of our uh, friends who've written to us are from uh, other states or, in one instance, even other countries. So please just allow us to share.
0: Great. So uh, first we're going to shout out Gabriel Silva Mateus, one of our couple of Brazilian listeners who are great. I feel like Brazil loves us more than America, TBH.
1: We, I, I don't know if that's true in the most literal sense, but... We do have a bizarrely high percentage of uh, Twitter interaction from Brazil. I
0: feel like if we went to Brazil, we could find like a dozen people who would be really chill to hang out with. We could do
1: one coffee shop show in Brazil and fill that place as long as everyone was willing to travel across Brazil to that one coffee house.
0: So Gabriel wrote us a very nice message about our Mysteries podcast about, uh, we talked about J.K. Rowling's transphobia. We also had some good running jokes that made Lauren cringe like for the boys. Um, and Gabriel just wrote to say how much uh, he enjoyed it, be- especially because like, stuff like that the media in Brazil doesn't super talk about. And he doesn't get to hear people reflect on it through his own country's media. So that's really sweet that we can help. He also recommended a song for Lauren called American Spirit by Megan Dia, which references Kool-Aid. So now your thing is Kool-Aid.
1: I like that I'm just a Kool-Aid fan now. Like, that's a part of my brand.
0: You you drank the Kool-Aid Kool-Aid.
1: I did. Um, I want to also thank Gabriel specifically because he says this is the first podcast and letter that he's written to in English. And I would not have been able to tell that until I got to the end of the letter. So I'm extraordinarily impressed with your English.
0: No, it's truly flawless. Like, genuinely, I wouldn't have known either.
1: Also, I do want to assure in sort of a grim way that Americans' coverage of news in Brazil and other areas of the world, such as Hong Kong, is, leaves a lot to be desired as well. So if you guys can recommend any podcasts like ours that are candidly talking about the things our media won't cover, shout it out.
0: Maybe our Brazilian friends can start a podcast about she that we can listen to.
1: Yeah, I would love that because there are several of you.
0: I would love that too. And then we got a letter from uh, Madeline Schlarman uh, on, on New Year's Eve, in fact. Which I was at a, I was at a concert. I didn't want to be at. I'm so sorry, Katie, if you're listening. But oh no. <laughs> And uh, I got this email, and I very quickly, like, sent it to Lauren because I did not want to be where I was. And um, anyway.
1: Uh, I like being the friend that you contact when you're miserable where you are. That means a lot to me sincerely. That's really
2: real. I mean, <laughs> yeah. share your worst moments. It's the only currency we've got.
0: That's, that's absolutely true. Madeline said, I was thinking about a statement made by Trin Giratano, resident hot take artist Trin Garitano.
1: Trin's episode resonates for months. We're all still thinking about it.
0: Uh, on the Whiteout episode, and I couldn't agree with her more when she said how Shira deals with many common teenage fuck-ups. It can be easy to forget, but pretty much every main character is a teenager with all the hormones, emotional growth, and learning from mistakes that come with the age and all of that on top of being thrown in the middle of a war. All the same problems that affect regular teenagers affect these characters, only with the bonus of the fallout affecting the entire planet, and not just your inner circle. There are friendships growing apart, going in and out of romantic relationships, and knowing when to leave a toxic relationship, just to name a few. This is one of the reasons I posted, it would be cool to have a teenager on your show on Facebook. And you know what? That's really true. We've made real efforts to reach out to, like, under-12s, but we've never had a teenager on the show.
1: Yeah, I... I think um, that is unfortunately a reasonable problem for us to have. We are of the age where lots of our friends are having kids, but... I personally don't have many friends who are old enough to have teens so maybe we should go to a like convention and set up a booth or something and <laughs> lure teens over I, this is a bad idea I'm sorry I started saying it
0: yeah maybe maybe we can find some teens through the internet that also sounds bad there's just no real good'
1: <laughs> there's no, there's real no real good, real way good way to
0: do this to but find
1: but, teens in our area it's
0: a great it's a great point um, Madeline wrote a bunch of really nice stuff. I I did want to share this quip. She said, the only thing I have to say to Shadow Weaver this season is okay, Boomer. She also said, after listening to the For the Honor actual play, I bought the game and made a character. So, Quinn, if you're listening, uh, that's really sweet.
1: I want to point out that she said she has no one to play with. And I'm sure out there in our listeners, some people could reach out and have maybe a skype or phone based session of this game the creator of the game would probably even i don't want to speak for her but be interested in facilitating some testing like that because the characters she even sent art it looks so cool you really should have the privilege of playing with some friends
0: it does quinn madeline get in touch with each other uh, each other we can help um and then she asked us some personal questions she said how is and was business school lauren that's a great question lauren how's business school
1: Uh, Thanks for asking, friendos. Uh, You haven't heard me talk about business school in a while because I have the privilege of both going to grad school and then working at a different grad school for my day job. And so when Christmas comes around, I get like almost a month off where I get to just do whatever I want. I didn't have any classes. I went to Arizona to see my best friend and just sort of effed off into the desert. So you haven't heard me mention school because there hasn't been any. But uh, starting next week, and it's really going to screw with our ability to podcast, I go back to school. My classes will be macroeconomics and social media marketing. And if I play all of my cards right, I will be graduated by next Christmas. Uh, This has been extraordinarily difficult to balance, but uh, I did sort of tell myself I could suffer for two years and then be done. So thank you for sitting here through my suffering. One more year to go, folks.
0: Everybody give it up for Lauren, that's truly impressive. (laughs) And then to me, Madeline said, thanks for introducing me to Bruce Springsteen and all the rest of the songs on your show's playlist. Truly the greatest compliment. Someone out there likes The Boss, Lauren.
1: You're You're introducing a new generation to The Boss.
0: You know, and it feels exactly the same way that it feels to be an R.E.M. How does it feel to be an R.E.M., Ben? It feels good. (laughs) feels good.
1: So, I mean, to your point about Ben came on this show because he was a fan of the show. We're, like, doing fandom inception, right? So, like, you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen. And because this person's a fan of our show, you made them a fan of Bruce Springsteen. yeah.
0: That's wild. I mean, every pretty much everything I do is based on fandom. We have one more from our friend Ashley Summerfield that I meant to read ages ago, and I just didn't. Sorry, Ashley, about um, portals this season. Ashley said, we're probably not done with portals yet, and the mention of Horde Prime and Coronation seems to confirm that. In the original series, it was sorcery that opened portals. Both the sorceress and aspella were able to conjure portals between Etheria and Eternia. Um, I found Casta Spell a little underwhelming, considering her supposed magical power prowess. I actually find her portrayal kind of cringy. She's usually just a stereotypical overbearing female elder. Perhaps she will get a chance to be more than just the aunt and show off her skills by getting involved in the portal plotline. Will there be more portals? I don't know, but this is a pretty decent episode to start considering that question.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, and also, the last line of the email says, I really dislike the new Swiftwind. I really hope kids are enjoying him.
0: The only way to find out is, internet, you have to send us some teens. Stop. It's <laughs> really creeping me just, out. Do they need just to be like... in your area? <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Yes. And I want them to have hot takes. For short, I'll say hot teens yes. in our area. <laughs>
1: that Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> anyway, I'm looking for a new podcast to be on because my co-host is going to jail. <laughs> well,
0: wh- why wouldn't you just continue this podcast? Why wouldn't you just continue this podcast with me being in jail? Because
1: it's tainted.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Everyone, when I'm gone, make sure to send Lauren your hot teens. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway. This
1: person we're making this poor person regret sending their letter.
0: <laughs> I hope not. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, everybody. You're all so sweet. Uh, we truly appreciate you. We're I mean, honestly, like Stuff like this and what Ben does makes being doing creative stuff like super worthwhile. So you're all great. I don't care if forever
1: never comes, cause I'm holding on for that teenage
2: feeling.
0: Alright, let's talk about She-Ra some more. So today we're covering the episode Hero. Good lord, this Fiona. is a dense episode. I'm afraid to even try to recap it, so I'll just do the broadest of strokes. Essentially, This episode takes place in two kind of separate but concurrent timelines centered on Madame Raz interacting with both Mara and Adora trying to bake a pie. Pies. Remember pies, Lauren? Remember how you hated when we talked about pies? Who
1: knew that it was foreshadowing all along? I
0: know. But the thing is that during Mara's plotline, we finally learn what really happened uh, with Mara and with her starship and why Light Hope says that she went crazy. And it's because she discovers that Etheria, Light Hope and whoever programmed her are trying to weaponize Etheria and its magic for what we don't know. But the heart of Etheria is a weapon and Shira is meant to be essentially its operator. When Mara finds out, she rebels and crashes her ship into the planet. And Adora finds a message from her explaining that all of this is the case.
1: Yeah, we see Madame Raz jumping back and forth between timelines and... Watching the episode today, I really came to the conclusion that Raz cannot control this happening to her. Um, Earlier, I thought maybe she was doing something super intentional, but she constantly seems surprised by who is standing next to her. Is it Mara? Is it Adora? She chastises herself for having a bad memory. Suddenly, she has moments of lucidity where she's struggling to deliver the message that she was meant to deliver. And she has that really heartbreaking line, like, "Oh, is this the first time it's been so long since it's been the first time? as if she's just being tossed around time, kind of against her own will,
0: right. So this is a good episode to have Ben on because we're both big fans of Deep Sci-fi, like Deep Space Nine. yeah, um i I'm not sure how to interpret Raz's time jumps. Like, is the implication that she exists outside of time and uh, like all things happen to her at once?" Is there some implication that, like, this is all cyclical and it will happen again? Right. Like, I wonder if Adora opening that portal or Catra opening the portal has, like, warped time in on itself.
2: Interesting. Uh, Yeah, certainly Raz comes off as a sorcerer, like, within the rules that have been established uh, from the show. But, man, it's it's so wild because she's such a, uh, you know, a whimsical character when first we meet her. And to see this episode that she's – it's really quite tragic. Like – I, she's she's a victim of this because she doesn't seem to have much control over it. There, you know, it, it reminded me of, of uh, Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. Yeah, uh, of all things, like you know, he his he's a tragic character as well because his story's already told and he knows it, and it's just going to happen, and he has no control over it. Same true of her, uh, and it, it, it's just wild too. Because like, what are the moments that she's flashing between? You know, like uh, when when she's gone into Mara's ship to get sugar from her, which you know she gives to this batty old woman, uh, and, and then the moments like uh, you know w- with Doctor Manhattan when he's literally talking to two people in two different timelines, and that causes other things to happen. He is the thing that brought that together, and if you weren't there, these events would have played out differently. It, it's wild.
0: The, yeah, this feels like a really important episode, uh, and it answers questions that we don't even know we have yet. And it's like also suggests many more questions.
1: Right. That was one of the things that I noted watching this a second time was that it gave me a ton of understanding, and yet I don't feel like I understand what's going on at all. <laughs> um, Raz herself says, today is important. Like there's something in her that knows. When Adora walks in today, she's going to get connected to Mara. I know today is the day, but she keeps losing it. And I feel like the viewer kind of goes through almost a a mirror experience. I'm like, I got it. I understand exactly what's going on. And then I don't. One of my questions I have now, and maybe one of you could help me answer, who are first ones and who are not first ones? Yeah, There we go. We have this thing where Adora, we know Adora's a first one. We know the First Ones settled on Etheria, but did they all disappear, or are the human-type characters we see now as everyone First Ones? I don't get it anymore. <laughs> I literally
0: had that question as well. There's definitely a colonial narrative going on here. Uh, I think we're meant to understand Light Hope's people as, as uh, colonial invaders, but, yeah, it's not at all clear who counts it. Um, there's some line in here about we were the first ones to really settle Etheria to study its magic. But that feels wrong yeah. because Madame Raz is there and has magic. Like, magic doesn't exist without people, right? So... It Like, they're the first people to settle in the same way that Christopher Columbus is the first person yeah, to settle Yeah, definitely America. bumped on that yeah, hard yeah, word. Yeah. I,
2: I love the word settling now that I'm, you know, now that I'm woke uh, uh, about just like, hang, hang on. You don't just throw that word around. It's it's not. It, but, you know, at, at the same time, it's the easy word that one reaches for when you're talking about people coming to an area that's new to them.
1: Um. Yeah, one of the overall themes of this episode is that the planet is beautiful and has magic, and has so much to offer people that's worthwhile. And anyone who stays there long enough sort of recognizes that. Uh, Mara falls in love with Etheria. Adora falls in love with Etheria, so much so that they refer to it as our planet. But uh, Light Hope doesn't get to leave the ship, right? You know, Light Hope being an AI, but also being stuck where she is, can be focused on her mission and her programming, and never change her perspective on what is wonderful about the planet, and maybe our plan is wrong.
2: How did you like at the end of the episode when uh, Mara is talking to her and says, You're not my light hope? Yeah. And she says, I am an exact copy of that. Like, what does that mean?
0: Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, do we. So is Mara floundering because she's like, she doesn't want to recognize that this is what she was trained for? Or is there some more sinister force at work?
1: I think somebody literally did reprogram. Light Hope, because we see at the beginning of the episode, Light Hope bonded with Mara, willing to look the other way and say, Raz was never here. I didn't see that. Any report about that is wrong. It's as if she's experiencing affection for Mara and can thus sort of change her programming. And sometime between then and the end of this episode, She basically gets reset, and that is the person that meets Adora. Because remember, we know that Light Hope deleted or had deleted a bunch of her affectionate memories of Mara. Yeah, Because they affected her. They weren't useful to the mission. Someone's in charge of that somewhere.
0: I guess I couldn't tell if that was Light Hope actually changing or if Light Hope was just kind of like assuming Mara would go along with the plan. And then when Mara outwardly defied her decided to, like, get serious.
1: I think it's kind of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? And that feeling of betrayal probably goes in both directions because I imagine Mara is shocked that Light Hope wouldn't side with her too. I think they both assumed this friend of mine is going to come down on my side. And then when the rubber hit the road, it didn't happen. But I do think literally there was some sort of reprogramming that occurred.
0: I do want to shout out last week's guest Shane because there was some really tasty Mara Light Hope shipping stuff in here. If you're looking for it, I completely would buy that. There's like some kind of synthetic flesh romance going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I ship it. I don't know. I, would, I don't know if I'd put it as like my favorite ship, but I think the evidence is there, especially in this episode.
0: They're literally on a ship.
1: They are on a ship. They are shipping it in the in a literal sense.
0: Half points. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I also noted that Raz said, your ghost is mean, referring to Light Hope. And I think there are layers there, too. It could just be this very literal, like, she doesn't like that I'm here, so I'm upset about it. But Raz being this mystical, magical, whimsical being... Maybe Raz can at least unconsciously sense that there's something much more sinister happening here before even Mara got there. Mm -hmm.
0: I I have this weird theory about Raz that is probably not true, but I wonder if Raz is kind of like – I'm trying to think of an like a Mr. Mixus Pitlick that exists in all dimensions because Raz consistently references things from the 1980s She-Ra – and I mean, yeah, it's funny, and it's probably just a joke, but what if it's not? Like, what if Raz really does, in one reality, have a living broom, or there's a lookie, and she has, like, Twigget dolls?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got really freaked out seeing the Twigget dolls this time, imagining this story going full colonial invasion, and, like, that's a species that is dead now. Because mm. she looks like the dolls,
0: that, and that's another potential interpretation is that all these things she's, like, hallucinating existed before Etheria was colonialized. Because they're also all creatures of magic. A living broom, woodland sprites, and, uh, an like, untouchable imp are, like, maybe they were the first to go when the first ones came and exploited the magic.
1: I hadn't thought of that, but I like that as a theory because they say multiple times that... The Heart of Ethereum project is siphoning magic from the planet and into the core. And the implication there, then, is there would be less and less of this magical resource. And if that's true, maybe that lack of magic or that pulling of magic, that could cause any number of things from the loss of all of these other beloved characters to Raz time jumping.
2: Um, You. Just to just to keep going on that, we were talking about the the first ones there. W- w- something that crossed my mind: I have not seen past this episode to this point. I'm, I'm
1: Ooh, no spoilers. Uh, yeah,
2: exactly right uh, for that. Looking forward to the rest. Um, the first ones. What is and is there a connection to the horde? Is the horde a product of their war? Are they really the enemy, or is it all just one big thing? That when as I was reflecting this episode, I was thinking about perspective and how you know we assume the first ones are these great benevolent people from what we've been exposed to so far, but it made me think of this old SG-1 episode called The Other Side, and it had, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but uh, René uh was the main... R.I.P. Yeah. yeah. Odo. Recent death. My God. Yeah. Odo is like my favorite Star Trek character of all time. Uh, but he had, he had a cameo in this episode and essentially the SG-1 team comes through the, the Stargate and they they find themselves in the middle of this war on this other planet and they start helping out Renee's people and they supply them with wa- with heavy water from Earth so they can keep their fusion machines going. And it turns out they're supporting eugenicists who are trying to destroy the rest of their world. And at the end of the episode, it all comes together and you realize that they're helping the bad guys here. And it's like that that made me think like is this entire show going to do this big like – gut pull-out thing. Um.
1: It reminds me very much of another previous guest on our show, recent guest Danny Yoon, who was talking about how being in the military, he didn't always feel he was supporting American freedom, which is a common conception that people have about the armed forces, but instead American interests. So maybe we have some wars in our history where we were fighting for our rights and we were fighting for our freedoms, But we're also sometimes just the character that's out there for profit or oil or something else. And I really feel that in this episode. I think it implies heavily that maybe the first ones are the bad guys. Or even if it's more nuanced than that, maybe what they're fighting for isn't some fundamental good but just their interests, you know?
0: I do wonder if the first ones in the Horde are enemies and the the first ones are trying to weaponize Etheria to, like, blow up the Horde. Um, I I, feel
1: like there's a third party, and I haven't really thought of this until this watch-through, but whomever is programming Light Hope, whomever built the sword, we haven't seen those people yet.
0: And that would seem to be the closest connection to the original lore. Especially with the sword. There's a lot of stuff that, like, it's interesting because this episode, it almost runs exactly parallel with the original lore and then kind of just moves away. Stuff like uh, Raz saying to She-Ra, She-Ra is not the sword. She-Ra is you. Etheria chose you. Uh, All this stuff. Your people made the sword, but we did not make She-Ra. There's always been a She-Ra on Etheria. Like Like, yeah, who, so... In the original lore, obviously the sword comes from Grey Skull. I have a strong suspicion that the ships that Eternia is the name of the starship and that somehow it's all related to some like I don't know.
1: If it's not the name of the starship, I also have, you know, sort of a similar theory that Eternia is the planet where the starship was made.
0: Right, yes. Uh, so we're going to go on my New Adventures trutherism again. It's Great. Time... I love it. <laughs> Only because, so I, to catch people up, I, I have this weird, like, I'm sure they'll never address it really, but my headcanon is that this is the She-Ra show that would have come out of the New Adventures of He-Man 1991 reboot in which She-Ra was not a part of, where essentially He-Man goes to the future, is on a starship Eternia, one of his, like, teachers um, kind of assistance is mara who looks exactly like this mara and she's kind of a hero who has a crush on adam my little new adventures truther moment in this episode is that so in new adventures they always do like a canted angle when adam turns a he-man which is a stark difference from the filmation series which is straight on and you know a little bit the camera's a little from below to give this like sense of like dwarving the camera um the new adventure shot is straight on and slightly angled, so that there's almost like a weird askance view when Adam turns to He-Man. That is the same view that Mara gets when she turns into She-Ra. It's slightly at an angle.
1: Eric, you are on some next
2: level shit right now. I love now. it. I love but every but part Adora, of
0: this. Adora always transforms straight on. Yep. And Mara's at an angle. It was I mean, a different sequence. It wasn't it, just like a redo of uh, Adora's. Yeah.
1: The wild thing is, you're probably right. <laughs> I'm just blown away by the fact that you even thought that.
0: <laughs> I mean, again, I don't think that this show is going to hinge on a 1991 failure of a He-Man reboot. But Mara but exists, so
1: clearly someone on that team has watched it.
0: Exactly. Or at least read the the material about it.
1: <laughs> I do want to give a moment if we're if we're on Mara's transformation sequence right now to talk a little bit about that character design. Uh, there was a lot of discussion in the fandom that I think is important to acknowledge that Mara is a character of color. Uh, She has uh, notably darker skin than Adora, but when she transforms, she gets the blonde hair and the blue eyes of She-Ra. So the first time I saw the transformation, I was like, this is sick. I'm loving the pants. I'm loving the Hilo skirt. (laughs) I am about this. What a great design. However... It sure seems rude <laughs> that if who she as an eternal hero is actually happens to share the blonde hair and blue eyes of Adora and 80s Adora too—
0: and the master race.
1: Yes, but right. But let me complicate Super that. Super be- aryan looking. Because
0: what if She-Ra is meant to be a colonial force? And then this is their comment on that.
1: Right. I mean, that is entirely mm-hmm. fair. So on one hand, to all of the fans who are like, why did we take her dark hair away? Why did we lighten her eyes and her skin? That is bullshit. That is some bullshit. And I really wanted to see a She-Ra with... You know, less frankly white features. I'm not going to get too specific because I don't think that's my story to tell. But this is not uh, a hero of color. They brought her closer to a white woman, and it's a little disturbing. I like what you're saying, though, that that's the whole point. If they're supposed to be these like colonialist invaders, and she's the hero of the of the of the invading race, yeah, pretty dark, but kind of makes sense. I think what clouds that is that. She-Ra is an Aetherian presence, and the sword is what came from the first ones. Uh,
0: I think since we're on this train, we have to talk about the um, narrative of Crazy Mara, which is something that our listener Chris called out in a letter last season, and he was basically like 100% dead nuts. You and Chris were like... Right on the same train that, like, Light Hope made up this story about how Mara's crazy because she's the one with this weapon and doesn't want people to, like, figure it out.
1: Yes. And here's another moment where I get to be kind of disappointed in Swiftwind because Swiftwind <laughs> sees all the, like, cuts and slices in that She-Ra ruin, that statue, and just immediately goes to, she really was crazy. Shut up, Swiftwind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, if, if this show does, like, anything on a wide scale, I think it really fights against this idea that, like, women with power are crazy. Like, Mara gives everything to try to save, like, not even save her planet, just, like, delay its destruction.
1: Yeah, and Light Hope says you're behaving erratically. And I, I believe that that is what Light Hope thinks is true. Yeah. Light Hope's not, like, gaslighting anybody, but erratically doesn't mean... Crazy or mentally unstable, or in this case, erratically means differently than what we planned for you. Right? Uh, do we agree that? Uh, so Mara says she failed, and she said there's never going to be a She-Ra again, but there is one. Did she try to destroy the sword and stop the Shira cycle and not achieve it?
0: What was her plan? She puts the planet in Despondos.
1: Yes. That's one of the questions I left with this time was how did she know, how did she know about Despondos Mm -hmm. and how did she have the know-how to like open up an empty dimension and navigate an entire planet there? Right. I think that may be just a case of like, it's a kid's show, deal with it, but it shows just a genius intellect Maybe why her people chose her in the first place.
2: Maybe back on Eternia, like if you are chosen as Shira, you get to attend like night classes or something, <laughs> walk you through the process here, <laughs> basic portals.
0: and Yeah, I mean, I think it does kind of speak to what the first ones know how to do. And I think there's a lot tomorrow that we don't see because all of this episode is her basically frantically trying to not destroy what the galaxy, like we don't really have a sense of their plan. Like Etheria is a weapon. But what is it aimed at?
1: I'm starting to think just to play off of an earlier point made by Ben and you. You both were brushing up against this. Maybe it was the Horde because I I already said there's a third party here at play. If the Horde's whole thing is take over the entire universe, amass power, and then Adora asks Light Hope, how would destroying worlds— No. Mara asks Light Hope, how would destroying worlds bring peace? If it's putting down the horde, there's an argument for that.
0: Yeah, and I think you talked about Danny Yoon. I think this is right on when we talk about like military power and colonialism is it's very easy for the people calling the shots to think that destroying a whole populace is a net positive if that populace disagrees with. Them Like think about how fervently we hated communists in the 1950s.
2: If I had to posit a theory, uh, I would bet that if we're talking if – the, if the Horde is who the the first ones are fighting, I bet the Horde has reached such a level that they're like the flood from Halo and that the only way to beat them back would be basically to just burn them off with fire, which would be to just destroy as much of the unconquered universe as possible just to stop them. That's my guess.
0: And I mean, we haven't seen outside Etheria ever. It's possible Ethereum is like the last planet not conquered by the Horde. Right. Could be. A lot of
2: things. Uh, slip, uh, skipping way ahead. Uh that last scene where, well, for, for one, they're making a pie the whole episode, uh, Raz is. I, am I wrong, or is at some point she using thousand-year-old sugar to make that pie? Because she <laughs> found it by the ship, and that box was pretty gray, j- just an observation. Um, <laughs> but at the end, when she puts the pie on Mara's seat, I mean, just tears. Like, I wasn't ready. I was like, oh, the, and it's over. That's, that
1: is a moment that all over social media when this season aired. It was like, how dare you, Noel Stevenson? <laughs> and I fully admit that watching this even today, I saw this episode first months ago, and I cried again. It is rough. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think it's really telling that this episode took the series creator and its story editor to write, because both Noelle Stevenson and Josie Campbell have writing credits. This is like, you bring out all the big guns for this one. It is... It is important. It is probably the single most important episode as far as, like, the lore that we've seen yet.
2: It, it is It is my favorite episode. This is oh. the best episode I've seen of the show so far. There's been some great ones along the way. Princess Scorpia uh, just recently was a great episode. But this one was just like, they asked me to talk about this one? This is <laughs> Anyway.
1: It is uh... – I think extraordinarily heavy, especially when placed next to the episodes that came before it. We have done some act break sort of plot stuff. We've done some lighthearted take a load off sort of stuff. And then, bam, the closest we've had to an explanation of everything that's going on so far.
0: Yeah, and like, again, no spoilers, but I, if I were you, dear listeners, I would... Pay attention to a lot of what happens in this episode and wonder, might we see it happen again? Because that's certainly set up by the episode. Uh, Light Hope basically says, the heart, oh no, Mara says, the heart will tear Etheria apart if it turns on again. So, like, I don't know. It seems to me like that's a Chekhov's gun situation.
1: There's also, I mean, to that point, a real sense of helplessness and inevitability in this episode. Yes. Uh, Raz is crying at one point because it's like she could see what was going to happen to Mara and was unable to do anything. And then Mara herself says she did her best and failed. And I can't imagine being Adora, our hero character, (laughs) (laughs) learning that all of this happened despite the best efforts of maybe the most brilliant hero the universe has ever seen. And, you know, maybe you can take a try. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. Try stopping this uh, unstoppable force.
0: That's really right. I, I wrote down that the big keyword of this episode is destiny. And I think it's Mara who has this great line, like, you don't get to tell me what my destiny is. But... I don't know. There definitely are forces at work that are, and Adora's whole arc has been kind of setting her up to fill this role or fight against it. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the show deals with this as it progresses.
1: I am even curious back to our, you know, OK Boomer Shadow Weaver fan letter. How much do the Horde members know about what's going on here? So many questions and so few episodes to answer them in.
0: Right. There's only five left this season, maybe four. Big season compared to season three. Yeah. So uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I think we covered a lot today. Is there anything else you all want to say about this episode? It's funny because it's all – there's so much to talk about, but it's all kind of one thing. It's a very focused episode. Yes.
2: I have two thoughts. Uh, One is that uh, this episode is just – really one of the best I've seen so far Um, because like I love when the explanation of a story comes out when you finally Mm -hmm. learn the thing that you've been it's like an itch you can't scratch and you keep reading the book and you're like when am I going to find this stuff out and it all comes out and it was done beautifully just such a great way to get this information out rather than just the straight telling it's like there's a story and there's an action there's a story to get it out with Raz just you know doing her actions there for that I uh, love that second question, uh getting back to Swift Wind, what happened to the Swift Wind lizard? I wanna oh. know You know, that's important, clearly. Uh
1: <laughs> I was haunted by that because I thought it had really great implications for the power that Adora yes. has and is just throwing around and we don't have an answer.
0: Please, DreamWorks, get back to us. You know what? Let us let let, let Lauren and I produce a series, I'm not talking a long series, like (laughs) max 26 episodes, (laughs) 32 maybe about the Swiftland Lizard. They can be internet shorts, Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes or so. Um,
1: You have that much to say about where it's gone?
0: My (laughs) band will produce all of the music, and we're only asking for mm, $10 million an episode. Whoa. (laughs) This seems reasonable to me.
2: (laughs) Um, but before before we 're done i 've got a, a point to make out separate from Shira, uh, and that eric uh, if, if you 're going to have me on your podcast and, and again, thank you for having me on, uh, we must discuss christmas music the The season has ended for some thankfully and for others uh, we 're kind of sad to see it march away back into the mist in time, but uh, Christmas music for some means more than to others, and to hell to some people it's just downright offensive. Um, But uh, I want to put my weight on the scale with a a, a single average vote, a 5 out of 10, that Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas (laughs) Time is a fine Christmas song. It's not bad. I wouldn't call it great, but it's perfectly good to shop at Target, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A little behind-the-scenes look. uh, Lorna and I thought we were going to record a Christmas episode last week, Mm -hmm. and then we were like, oh, you're in Arizona And I'm not. Uh, We also, I mean, spoiler, we had another DreamWorks guest planned that um, unfortunately couldn't make it. So we just ended up not doing an episode last week, which is why Shane's got pushed forward. So the forthcoming Christmas episode we promised, I'm not saying it's not coming. It just didn't come this year.
1: Or we'll just do it in March.
0: I've heard Christmas in July is a thing.
1: It is. It's like car dealerships and picnic sites everywhere.
0: Man, you know what my favorite car dealership month is? Rocktober.
1: Oh, happy Honda days. <laughs> it, yeah. is, it is the theme of the Muppet Christmas Carol, that as long as love is in your heart, it can be Christmas all the time.
0: Oh, that explains why it's never Christmas for me.
2: Oh. It's
0: cold in there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. I
0: think that's it. Good. Good work.
2: Listen
1: to your heart. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.